Hello and welcome to season two of the Sifted podcast. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor. And I'm Eleanor, Sifted's deputy editor. And in this season, we are going to be taking a peek inside the Sifted newsroom. So we will be discussing the top news, sharing opinions and speaking to the journalists who've been out there reporting our stories every week. Now, we need to make a small apology for this episode, which is A, a bit late, and B, might not have the best sound quality because we had a few issues uh, with recording it in a studio yesterday that offered free bubble tea, but apparently not the best sound control. So apologies for that. We will try and do much, much better next week. So this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about Ukraine again. Our first episode of this season, we dedicated to speaking about the war in Ukraine right now. And obviously, it's still a hugely important topic for you know, Europe in general and also for our community of people working in tech, founders and operators. So first, we're going to talk about some European startups who are stepping up to help end the continent's reliance on Russian fossil fuels. And we'll talk a little bit about small nuclear reactors and hydrogen. And then we're actually going to be hearing some really, really powerful stories from people who are working at tech companies in Ukraine and how the war has completely just, you know, overturned their lives and changed their day to day. And then finally, we're also just going to be discussing some other kind of updates and interesting things that have happened into the ecosystem. So Eleanor, how has your week been? What's been going on? My week has been, I would say, pretty intense. I mean, you know, we've continued to cover things in Ukraine and that I think requires a lot of thoughts and care and sensitivity around how we cover that. But on a more kind of happy note, uh, it was also International Women's Day this week. So that was kind of fun. Or International Women's Week, as we decided it would be at Sifted. Eleanor lined up five opinion pieces all written by women we republished our list of female vc partners and we also updated our list of active female angel investors in europe which you should uh, go check out if you think you should be on the list and aren't or if you're looking for funding go check out those people yeah it was really fun to work with the five women who contributed for this week and i have had a vision for that I feel like a lot of women in European tech, when they're given the chance to speak about their experience, they're often asked to speak about diversity, which is completely ridiculous, given that, you know, it's not their fault that the diversity is atrocious. And so for most of the opinion pieces that went out this week from women in the ecosystem, I just really wanted them to talk about their day to day, about what they they're advice and tips for scaling companies. We had a great one today about Web3 and how that's going to change marketing. So I really want Sifted to be a place where women can come and just speak about their experience building and running great companies, which I think really also reflects Sifted's experience. We are an editorial team that is led by women. Thank you, Amy. And also has many, many women on our reporting staff. So So talking of those women. Let's talk about Mimi, who's our Nordics correspondent. One of her stories this week. Eleanor, tell us a bit about about that. So it's a story that kind of begins like I feel like strangely enough a lot of Nordic stories begin, which is in a sauna. Um, so a couple of people, founders of this startup called Fermi Energia, 
got together in a sauna, <laughs> met their co-founders in a sauna. Eleanor's not joking. Mimi has filed many stories in her time that involve things, things happening in saunas. And uh, in the sauna, they decided that they wanted to develop a small modular reactor solution, which is basically like a smaller nuclear reactor that you can assemble on a production line, almost like a car. And why why do we need this stuff? So basically, it's a lot you know smaller and less expensive to build than a huge nuclear reactor but it could have a really big impact on energy in Europe. So if everything goes to plan for Fermi Energia, they could actually have their first nuclear reactor in Estonia up and running by the early 2030s, and it could power up to 300,000 homes. Cool. And there are other projects, aren't there, like this, other of these kind of small nuclear projects in Poland, in the UK, in France. And Freya, one of our other reporters, she was also looking into a different kind of alternative and perhaps greener energy, which was hydrogen this week and uh, mapping out these startups all across Europe that are doing different bits of the hydrogen production process. Yeah, so interesting enough kind of to compare nuclear and hydrogen. I feel like it's not super controversial right now for people to come out and, you know, kind of advance nuclear as a solution for ending our dependence on fossil fuels. But hydrogen is like still very, very split between the haters and people who think that it's going to change the game. So Freya's, she just did a brilliant map of the players out there, you know, everyone from the startups that are working on production to like how we ship it to how we store it, right? And for her next article, she's thinking about kind of looking more into the controversy, like why are people so split on hydrogen, which is something that came up in her reporting this time. So if you hate hydrogen, if you love hydrogen, please reach out to Freya. Great. Controversial. We love it. And I guess the reason that energy is so in the spotlight right now is the war in Ukraine. So now this this was just the absolute best thing we published all week. Tim, one of our reporters who's actually based in Barcelona, and Aina, another reporter, spoke to four people from the startup community in Ukraine whose lives have been just totally turned upside down. It was really moving to read this piece. So let's bring on Tim now. So Tim, start by telling us about Vadim Lobarev, one of the people you spoke to. Vadim, he's 41 years old. He's got two kids, lives in Kiev and is the founder of Mindhunt, which is a tech recruitment agency that links up Ukrainian tech workers with clients who are trying to find tech talent in other parts of the world. He's been doing that for 10 years. But yeah, when Russia invaded Ukraine, his day-to-day changed completely. As soon as he heard and saw what was going on, it almost wasn't a decision for him. He went to the nearest military checkpoint he could find and asked how he could sign up. So yeah, this guy who has no military experience, no combat experience, saw it as his duty and obligation to defend his country. It was a tough conversation to have in some ways, because whilst he obviously felt this huge sense of duty in joining the Territorial Guard and defending his homeland, he's also someone that previously had no interest in being in the military. He's never held a gun. And you can kind of hear that there are these two sides to him pulling in different directions. And I put a question to him about how he felt, how his life had changed. So we're just going to hear from Vadim now. Yeah, it's it's good question. Uh, you know, father of my wife, he said to me, if you take gun, 
or knife, you have to use it. You cannot just uh, like be with gun and do nothing with with gun. So if I see enemy in front of me, I have to shoot. And uh, when I was on my duty, I thought about it and I thought that in case I have to kill someone using this AA-47, um, I thought that it will be hard to live with these feelings after this. So that's just a bit of a taste of what Vadim was telling me. And it's just it just shows how sad it is, really, that what could seem like, you know, something out of a movie of joining up to fight, it actually comes with this huge level of internal conflict in people who feel duty, but also a huge sense of discomfort in the responsibility that's now on their shoulders. Thank you so much, Tim. I can't even imagine what Vadim is going through right now. Aina, I know you spoke to another tech worker who's been helping out with the war efforts, a woman named Daria. Can you tell us a little bit more? So I spoke to Daria Alexieva, and like many people, she woke up very early on the day of the invasion. She had a phone call from her mother at 5 a.m. telling her the terrible news. And soon after that, she left the city. She lived in Kiev. And she traveled to her parents' house on the outskirts. And so in normal time, she's a product marketing manager for Pop-Up, a so-called no-code company that helps people develop software without the need for code. So she's still doing that job a little bit every day, but her main task now is helping the Ukrainian army. And she told me that two weeks ago, she was an expert in things like coffee, and now she's an expert in finding military vests. So her life has changed completely. And other tasks she's involved in now includes gathering materials to make Molotov cocktails. So bartender is a added to her skill set now, she says. And she's also helping to source walkie-talkies from a supplier in Romania. She's trying to import 400 walkie-talkies. So she's one of millions stepping up now in this in this war. And on her LinkedIn page, she even added a new job title, Freedom Pfizer. So you can see a flood of messages coming to Daria on LinkedIn, people saying things like, keep serving those cocktails, which is really strange to see on LinkedIn, actually, which previously a fairly apolitical uh, place. But in general, I think Daria tells me that the day-to-day is, is just so strange now in Ukraine that it's it's a living nightmare. Some days she tells me she just wants to lie down and just maybe have a little cry about it. Aside from that, she's separated from her friends. They're scattered all across Ukraine. And yeah, she has this internal conflict in, in her house because her mother wants to leave. Her dad wants to stay. And they woke up one morning to find that all the neighbors had left. And of course, this set off panic in her house. And there was a big debate about whether they should flee. But in the end, she told me she just made herself a cocktail this time and, and decided to stay and help the resistance. And Tim, you also spoke with a few other people, didn't you, who are still in Ukraine and trying their best to carry on with their jobs as usual in not usual circumstances. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you've got these two stories and there are lots like those of people who've dropped what they normally do to join the war effort in whatever way they can. But also, particularly in the world that we cover in tech and IT, which is a huge industry for Ukraine, it's a big place to hire tech talent, particularly, you know, engineers and coders. 
And one thing that we've heard is that people in that sector believe that it's really vital for the country at this time, that people can keep working remotely. Others have lost their jobs, but people who work in the digital sector are kind of this economic engine for the country now. And, you know, one person who I spoke to was Alina. She's a marketing manager for a Ukrainian chatbot startup called Bots Crew. She's 26 years old. And yeah, she's decided to stay in her home in Kiev, but wants to keep going with her job for that reason. And yeah, she is working under incredibly tough circumstances. So she described how in her home, she's sleeping and working from her bathroom for the reason that it's further away from the windows. She mentioned that she's aware that if there was a direct hit by a missile or a rocket on her flat, that wouldn't help her. But it makes her feel safer. And then to add to that, when an air siren goes off, she has to move down to the air raid shelter. And just to give you a bit of an idea of what that's like, in her case, it's an underground car park. It's freezing cold. It's full of families, pets, dogs. And she's trying to get her job done from her mobile phone down there. So it's incredibly trying. But it was interesting because she said that actually in some ways it's easier for her working from that bomb shelter because the life and the chatter and the kids and the laughter which manages to persist even in this really tough time gives her some kind of positive distraction as opposed to when she's just sat up in her bathroom on her own in silence or with the sound of distant air raid sirens coming to her. And she said to her, that's more distracting just because she feels like she constantly has to read the news and doesn't get any respite from it. And then there was another person I spoke to called Irinya. She's, she's fled the country. She works for a global relocation platform that helps people or companies to get people on payroll wherever they are in the world, which has become useful to her now because her company is able to pay her outside of Ukraine using one of their other legal entities. And she decided that it wasn't safe enough for her to stay where she was and had to make this decision to drive, leaving some of her family behind her. Her grandmother, who didn't want to leave in tears when she decided that she would leave, packing her food and driving off into the night, basically. So she drove for two days on her own, picked up a friend actually about two thirds of the way into the journey and drove to Bucharest in Romania. And yeah, she describes the fear of driving through the night without signal, the panic of cars, cars upon cars, trying to get out and overtake each other at border crossings and checkpoints. And yeah, she made her way to Bucharest and then flew to Cyprus, where she used to be a student and has some links. But since then, she's found that she can't stay in Cyprus because the residency policies that Greece is putting in place for people from Ukraine isn't that great. So she's got to move again. And yeah, she describes how she kind of just went into this survival mode and that, you know, everything that normally goes on with your life, all the kind of normal decisions that you make completely change. You just think about where is my money? Where is my food? Am I going in the direction that I want to go? So it's affected me quite a lot. Actually, it's been quite a lot reporting on this. Um, just give me a sec. Sorry. Tim, how did you go about finding these people? So it's it's funny because, you know, these people are living in such extraordinary circumstances, but I've been able to reach people pretty easily just on LinkedIn. And I think that speaks to the fact that while there is this huge catastrophe going on, people are still trying to go about their lives and 
also tell people what's going on. So I think like a lot of the people we've spoken to really are trying to put out information on social media and via channels like us to kind of share what's going on. So yeah, it hasn't been hard to find people because I guess there are so many people going through this at the moment. And while all of these stories are so different in the way these people's lives are changed, there is one common thing that you hear, which is the way that everyone from Ukraine or has a connection to Ukraine starts their day at the moment. So now we're just going to hear from Alina. And I asked her how all of this has affected her. Um, you know, I'd say I'm okay, but obviously I'm not okay because the amount of stress is huge. Maybe it's the first time when I'm dealing with the stress that comes in all levels, like in mental and physical, because it's the first time when I experience like muscle pain or things that were really unfamiliar for me. It's the stress that keeps coming every day. It, it keeps coming from like calls from your relatives because every morning starts for us like texting our moms, dads, how are you? How was the night? Was it quiet? You know, it's it's the environment that makes you like more and more stressed every day because you realize that things are not going to change in the next couple of days and the war is not going to stop. So it's hard to concentrate, but I'd say that to keep going, I'm trying to work and I'm trying to volunteer to help people that need help because it gives some sort of relief of knowing that you're changing situation as much as you can. Thank you so much, Tim and Aina. And for anyone listening, I would really, really recommend uh, their article. It's a really brilliant and very moving read. But now to move on to something quite different. Eleanor, you wrote a story this week about a startup that's positioning itself as a competitor to none other than Apple. Tell us more. Well, hilariously enough, when you put Apple competitor in the headline, we got tons of haters on Twitter who were like, how can you even compare them? But I I would say that that level of audacity is, you know, nothing less than I would expect from nothing, which is the newest venture from smartphone wonderkind Carl Pei. He's kind of like a, I don't know what you call him, like a guru in the consumer hardware space, started a disruptive smartphone startup in China in the Audis, and now has created nothing based in London. Their first product released last year, the Ear Ones, which I'm like showing to Amy right now, holding them in my hands, became kind of a hit hype product. It's really cool. It's transparent plastic. It's sexy. I kind of am obsessed. But Tim, our producer, would not actually let Eleanor record with said headphones because the audio quality might might not quite be up there. But nothing has other plans, don't they, Eleanor? I hear there's uh, some other products in the works. Yeah, so they've said that they're going to have a big event on the 23rd of this month. And the rumors are that they're going to reveal a new product at that event probably going to be a smartphone no surprise because the founder is that's his background in smartphones but when i spoke to akis the head of marketing he would not confirm or deny the rumors about the smartphone but he did say that the team had been going wild looking at all different product categories and given that they just hired the head former head of design and product at dyson i'm like i i want a vacuum So stay posted, people. Exciting stuff, possibly coming from nothing very, very soon. 
So that's all that we have time for in this episode. If you want to hear more about what's happening in Ukraine, please follow us on sifted.eu and sign up to our newsletters where we will be sharing all of our latest articles. You can also follow us on Twitter at sifted.eu. Also, please let us know what you think of our new formats for the podcast on Twitter, or you can send us an email at hello at sifted.eu. And please join us for the next episode, episode three, next week. Bye. Bye.